This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Support this podcast by joining the independent progressive media revolution today at humanistreport.com. Welcome to the Humanist Report podcast. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 73rd episode of the program. Today is November 16th, and before we get started, I have several people that I want to thank for joining the independent progressive media revolution. Today we have Sahil Habibi, who actually is the host of Progressive Voice on YouTube. You can check out his podcast on progressivevoicenews.com or his YouTube channel, The Progressive Voice, or follow him on Twitter at Progressive Voice. Phenomenal content. He's only 16 years old and is a rising star in the progressive community. We also have Frank Vanderwell to thank, Cameron Ulibari, Marianne Reed, and also Twitter user at Billie Jean Hicks. So all of these individuals decided to support the show either by becoming a member on humanistreport.com, uh, signing up on Patreon, or giving us a donation via PayPal. So if you too would like to support the show, you could visit the links down below in the description box, or you could simply watch our videos, share them and like them, or whitelist us on Adblock, and you are helping us out tremendously. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into the topics for today. So coming up on today's show, Keith Ellison responds to smears by the establishment, Hillary Clinton is taking aim at the First Amendment, Fox News attacks Bernie Sanders, Michael Moore and Bernie Sanders call out Donald Trump, and I'll talk about why Bernie Sanders would have defeated Donald Trump. I'll also look at the Democrats' claim that Russia interfered in the election and give you a rundown of Trump's awful cabinet picks. Additionally, I'll talk about how the DNC chair race is becoming a Hillary versus Bernie proxy fight, Hillary Clinton's campaign's attempts to silence MSNBC's Mika Brzezinski, Elizabeth Warren's double standard, and finally, I will talk about my new article in the Huffington Post. So all of these topics will be discussed in this episode. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Let's go ahead and jump right in because we've got a ton of topics to cover. Enjoy the show. As we learn more and more about the people who will ultimately be serving in Donald Trump's presidential administration, not only are we witnessing the solidification of the American oligarchy, seeing that this is the richest administration in modern American history, but we're also seeing the worst of what humanity has to offer. And I really mean that, because not only is he putting forth people that are genuinely stupid, but they're establishment insiders that show genuine contempt for everyday Americans. Now, this is all after Donald Trump famously proclaimed this. It is time to drain the swamp in Washington, D.C. We are going to drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. So when it comes to draining the swamp, Donald Trump isn't draining the swamp. In fact, he's deepening it and then refilling it with even more corrupt people than, than were in the swamp to begin with. So let's start off with his Secretary of State choice, Rex Tillerson. So this guy is the CEO of ExxonMobil, 
and he's obviously pro-fracking, but get this, he is literally suing to stop fracking near his house. The Nation explains, Tillerson and his super wealthy neighbors are concerned, the lawsuit states, that the tower, which will just store water for fracking, might devalue their properties and adversely impact the rural lifestyles that they sought to enjoy. So he loves fracking, but just don't do it in his backyard. Now, he also has zero diplomatic experience, and according to The Hill, Tillerson negotiated an energy partnership with Putin that the Russian president said could be worth $500 billion. The following year, Tillerson received the Russian Order of Friendship, one of the highest awards the country bestows upon foreign nationals. Reuters reported earlier this year that the ExxonMobil deal with Russia had been put on hold due to sanctions levied against the Kremlin for its annexation of Crimea in 2014. The company has said it intends to resume the deal after sanctions are lifted, a process that Tillerson could help expedite as Secretary of State. So you have a Secretary of State that's not really looking out for the interests of the United States. He's looking out for the interests of ExxonMobil. So do you think that the country or the planet will benefit from this? Absolutely not. So this is why I'm saying he's choosing the worst of what humanity has to offer. Now, since this guy is a complete idiot, he's going to be a puppet of the Deputy Secretary of State. Do you want to know who that is? That is John Bolton. He's one of the few people that unapologetically supports the war in Iraq. Till this very day, he's still pro-Iraq war. Now, he also doesn't want America to be part of the UN, and he also advocated for the US to invade Iran. So The Intercept explains, if Bolton becomes part of the Trump administration, he'll be an extremely loud voice for war with Iran. In November, he said that overthrowing Iran's government is the only long-term solution to the country's supposed threat to the US, and he subsequently added that he hoped Trump would move very quickly in the early days of his presidency to abrogate the Iran nuclear deal. That guy who is calling for war with another country, which would lead to millions of people potentially dying, he's going to be in the State Department. He'll have an influence over the next president. That's terrifying. Now, another one, Andrew Puzder will be the labor secretary. He is the CEO of Hardee's and Carl's Jr., is a vocal critic of government regulation and opposes a $15 minimum wage, broader overtime pay, and the Affordable Care Act. He's also against paid sick leave for employees, and in states with higher labor standards, his companies have been accused of violating those standards. Now, to get even more Orwellian, Trump, in a statement, credited him with an extensive record of fighting for the workers. Now, Donald Trump isn't entirely wrong because he's fighting for the workers, all right. He's fighting for robot workers because this guy, who is the labor secretary of the country, just to remind you again, uh, he's in favor of automation. So he wants to replace all those workers with robot workers. So when you go into a fast food restaurant, you just type in your order and then it's delivered to you that way. You don't have to have a person take your order. If he really is in favor of this and pushes for this, that will cost millions of jobs around the country. Now, also, I think it's funny that this guy's against a $15 minimum wage. He thinks that's too much, yet his yearly salary at Carl's Jr. is more than $7 million. That is a perfect example of greed and establishment cronyism that just makes me sick about politics. And now we've also got Rick Perry. Remember this clip? And I will tell you, it's three agencies of government when I get there that are gone. Commerce, education, 
and the, um, uh, what's the third one there? Let's see. <laughs> you need five. Oh, five. Yeah, okay. So five. commerce, education, and uh, the um, um, uh, EPA. EPA. There you go. No, okay. Let's talk. Let's talk deficit. Seriously. Um, is EPA no. the one you were talking about? Or? No, sir. No, sir. We were talking about the. Um, agencies of government. EPA needs to be rebuilt. But There's you no can't, doubt about that. But you that. can't name the third one. The third agency of government. Yeah. I would. I would do away with the education, uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce. And let's see. Oh I can't. The third one. I can't. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. The third department that he forgot about was the Department of Energy, and <laughs> as if shit couldn't get any more crazier. Well, he'll now be leading that. Again, it, it, this this whole thing reads like a comedy movie, but it's real. This is real life. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. Now, you also have Betsy Devos as Education Secretary. She is, of course, another billionaire. And according to Washington Post, the nomination of Devos, a conservative who has pushed to expand taxpayer-funded vouchers for private and religious schools, has rankled liberal lawmakers and teachers' unions. The nominee has no experience as an educator or education leader, but has spent millions of dollars lobbying for school choice proposals. She also owes $5.3 million for violating campaign finance laws in Ohio. So what's her qualification, you ask? Well, she's a billionaire. Trump's a billionaire, so he's qualified to be president. So why isn't she qualified to be the uh, education secretary? She's a billionaire. Now, Jeff Sessions is his choice for attorney general. According to the New York Times, in 1986, President Ronald Reagan nominated Jeff Sessions, then a United States attorney from Alabama, to be a federal judge. The Republican-controlled Senate rejected Mr. Sessions out of concern based on devastating testimony by former colleagues that he was a racist. So Reagan's conservative Republican Congress said, no, this guy's too racist for us. This guy will now be Trump's attorney general. Now, he also supports a federal Muslim ban, and as attorney general, he could destroy state laws that allowed for the legalization of marijuana. And if you think that he won't do that, well, he is someone who states that those who smoke marijuana are just bad people. And these are just some of his more egregious picks. So let's not forget that a former Goldman Sachs executive, Steve Mnuchin, will be Secretary of Treasury. Or, let's also not forget that he offered the CEO of Goldman Sachs, Gary Cohn, a directorship at the National Economic Council. And, let's also acknowledge that he bribed A-list celebrities with ambassadorships all to get them to perform at his inauguration. And to show you how serious he's taking this job, and perhaps why his choices are, so far, just complete idiots, well, he's being helped by his children. Donald Trump's transition turning into quite the family affair. As the president-elect taps Montana Congressman Ryan Zinke to lead the Interior Department, a source says Donald Trump Jr. helped interview candidates for the post. This, as another source says, Eric Trump sat in on a meeting with Mitt Romney as Donald Trump evaluated his Secretary of State option. I can't believe that I'm saying these words, that these are the people who Donald Trump is choosing, that he's trying to get A-list celebrities. He's, he's so desperate to seem likable and get people to like him he's trying to bribe a-list celebrities we don't know who but a-list celebrities with ambassadorships you want to be the ambassador in norway we'll just come and perform at my uh my inauguration i don't care if you don't know anything about this country and you're not qualified at all and you're just a celebrity but you know what <laughs> my popularity is more important than the world and the country 
It's just absurd. Now, Bernie Sanders summarized my feelings of this whole situation perfectly in less than 140 characters. He states, it's called a rigged economy and this is how it works. Gone are the days where a president simply just appoints someone who's going to be a puppet for the industry. Donald Trump is cutting out the middleman and he's just straight up appointing people from the industry. You want someone to be kind to fast food restaurants? We'll just appoint someone who is the CEO of Carl's Jr. I mean, this is something that is just... It makes my head explode. Like, I'm on the verge of watching my head pop off my body and roll around on this fucking floor right now. It's just crazy. So, look, Trump, if you're going to appoint a bunch of CEOs with zero policy or diplomatic experience, fine. At least appoint some of the smart ones, maybe. I mean, he is choosing Elon Musk. It looks like he will serve an advisory role to Trump, so I guess there's that. Silver lining, right? But this is so troubling and also puzzling. It's just weird. Like, we have people running government who have no idea what they're doing. This is really scary. Rather than accepting that Hillary Clinton lost because she ran a terrible campaign bereft of vision or strategy, Democrats are refusing to be introspective and they want you to believe that Hillary Clinton lost because of Russia. That's right, so by proxy of WikiLeaks, Russia hacked into the DNC and John Podesta's emails and they were able to tip the scales in favor of Donald Trump and that ultimately cost Hillary Clinton the election. Now. I don't know if it's just me or not, but I find all of this pretty funny because during the election, we were talking about WikiLeaks and many people in the media told us that there were no bombshells and that it wasn't going to hurt Hillary Clinton. And if anything, they even implied that it would help Hillary Clinton. So for example here, we had the Daily Beast write, WikiLeaks trolls the world, delivers nothing on Hillary. Washington Post states, scandal, WikiLeaks reveals Hillary Clinton to be reasonable. Vox said WikiLeaks reveals John Podesta's secret for making creamy risotto. So they literally were making fun of the release of John Podesta's emails, suggesting that there was nothing in there. It's a drip, drip, drip of distraction, with campaign chair John Podesta's hacked emails now being released on a daily schedule by Julian Assange, trying to meddle with the U.S. election. No bombshells, but a revealing look at Clinton's strategy. This is like a 9-11 for us. 9-11. No bombshells. 9-11. No bombshells. 9-11. But now that Hillary Clinton lost, we're supposed to believe that Russia, through WikiLeaks and the release of, quote, fake news, is what actually cost Hillary Clinton the election. So we have a complete 180 here. Now, I'm not condoning hacking, nor am I suggesting that I'm okay with foreign interference in American elections. I mean, what do I look like? The United States and Latin America? But here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that you can't make such an extraordinary claim unless you have a substantial amount of evidence, more than hearsay. And forgive me for being overly skeptical here, but I am not inclined to believe the same people who told me that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. I'm just not. So if you're going to tell me that Russia hacked the DNC and they're responsible, and we're even running with the story that Vladimir Putin is specifically culpable himself in this hack, well, then you've got to supply us with the evidence. But unfortunately for the Democratic Party, they do not have a substantial amount of evidence to validate this huge claim. So let's look at the evidence. The Intercept explains there's a lot of evidence from the attack on the table, mostly detailing how the hack was perpetrated and possibly the language of the perpetrators. It certainly remains plausible that Russians hacked the DNC and remains possible that Russia itself ordered it. 
But the refrain of Russian attribution has been repeated so regularly and emphatically that it's become easy to forget that no one has ever truly proven the claim. There is strong evidence indicating that Democratic email accounts were breached via phishing messages and that specific malware was spread across DNC computers. There's even evidence that the attackers are the same group that's been spotted attacking other targets in the past. But again, no one has actually proven that group is the Russian government or works for it. This remains the enormous inductive leap that's not been reckoned with, and Americans deserve better. We should also bear in mind that private security firm CrowdStrike's frequently cited findings of Russian responsibility were essentially paid for by the DNC. It's highly unusual for evidence of a crime to be assembled on the victim's dime. If we're going to blame the Russian government for disrupting our presidential election, easily construed as an act of war, we need to be damn sure of every single shred of evidence. Guesswork and assumption could be disastrous. All of this evidence comes from private companies with a direct financial interest in making the internet seem as scary as possible, just as Lysol depends on making you believe your kitchen is crawling with E. coli. But what we're presented with isn't just the idea that these hacks happened, and that someone is responsible, and, well, I guess it's just a shame. Our lawmakers and intelligence agencies are asking us to react to an attack that is almost military in nature. This is, we're being told, quote, warfare. When a foreign government conducts or supports an act of warfare against another country, it's entirely possible that there will be an equal response. What we're looking at now is the distinct possibility that the United States will consider military retaliation digital or otherwise against Russia, based on nothing but private sector consultants and secret intelligence agency notes. If you care about the country enough to be angry at the prospect of election meddling, you should be terrified of the prospect of military tensions with Russia based on hidden evidence. You need not to look too far back in recent history to find an example of when wrongly blaming a foreign government for sponsoring an attack on the U.S. has tremendously backfired. It must be stated plainly, the U.S. intelligence community must make its evidence against Russia public if they want us to believe their claims. The integrity of our presidential elections is vital to the country's survival. Blind trust in the CIA is not. So I'm sorry, but if the evidence does exist, then President Obama needs to declassify it and let us see it. And if you're as confident as you say you are, Democrats, that Russia interfered in our election, then why don't you punish Russia and sever any diplomatic ties we have with them and recall our ambassador to show them that we're pissed off? But you don't want to do that because you don't have sufficient evidence. But I mean, let's just accept for a minute that Russia did in fact hack the DNC and John Podesta's emails. This doesn't remove the substance of what was found in those emails. It revealed overt corruption from the Clintons and her campaign, and it also doesn't make the DNC's interference in the primaries acceptable. You don't receive a get-out-of-jail-free card if you can prove Russia did it. Your corruption has been exposed, and now it's up to you to either change your ways and become the party of the working class again, or you can die off and allow the Greens to take your place. If it is the case that they can prove and actually show us the evidence that Russia did in fact hack the DNC and John Podesta's emails, that doesn't make what they did okay. But here's my question. So if we prove Russia did it, what's the end game of all of this saber rattling against Russia? It's very clear that with all of this red baiting, that the party that was once anti-war is now doing everything they can to reignite the Cold War. And look, this situation 
is different from Iraq because Russia actually does have weapons of mass destruction. So do you think it's worth risking a nuclear war with Russia all because you think they tipped the scales in favor of one candidate over the other, just like you did during the primaries? Do you think it's worth it to do that, to risk a global war all because you're a sore loser? I think you know the answer to that. And if you really want to prove Russia did it, either put up or shut up. But that doesn't make it okay for you to saber rattle and reignite a new Cold War. So if you want to take steps to prevent this from happening in the future, uh, send a bill through Congress that will increase cybersecurity. But until then, stop saber rattling against Russia. It's dangerous. And if you truly are confident about these claims from so-called intelligence agencies who often get it wrong, well, then release the evidence. That's all I'm saying. Congressman Keith Ellison, who was one of the most loudest proponents of the campaign of the country's first successful Jewish presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders, well, that guy was forced to defend himself against accusations that he was anti-Semitic that have been hurled against him by the Democratic Party establishment ever since he announced that he was going to run to be the next DNC chair. You can't make this shit up. Take a look. What are your responses to uh, the CNN reporting and other people that bring up uh, this past? I think that it is uh, bad reporting because I have a 10-year record in Congress. I have a four-year record in the Minnesota State House. I practiced law for 16 years right. and did a lot. I mean, and I just think that, you know, it's just that kind of reporting that, uh, you know, just that sort of is not quality and doesn't help people understand so the real issues. Is, so just to clear, clarify it then based on, again, all these quotes and sort of the, the buzz out there, what CNN and others were reporting on what you said before, do you believe that Louis Farrakhan is an anti-Semite. Sure, but I mean, what does he have to do with anything going on in this race or this country well, you, at this time? Absolutely some, nothing. Well, CNN, I mean, look, CNN says that you've, you've said some positive things about Minister Farrakhan, a role model for black youth. But here's the thing, Joe. We're talking about something that happened in 1995. Right. This, was, this was a year that the Million Man March took off. Right. People were attacking the march at the time. The march was a very good thing. I was very proud to be part of it. But here I am having to answer questions about right. this. And I'm not talking about what our country needs to look like and what the Democratic Party can do. Because this smear campaign from almost 21 years ago right. or something like that is this is about distracting in taking people away from the issues that really are at hand in this case. Right. And, you know, I think it serves somebody's political purpose to push this stuff, right. but it doesn't serve the public interest to serve it. But, you there know, are, uh, Congressman, there are some Jewish Democrats who look back, and if you're going to lead the party, they look at those comments with some fear and some trepidation. Do you disavow quotes like that, the one we just read? Man, I'm telling you back in 2006 and before I disavowed him, right. that's the ridiculous thing about this. Okay. That we keep on having to answer this kind of stuff. But let me tell you, it's not that people are, I don't think people are, who are pushing it are genuinely curious. They don't want to talk about what the Democratic Party needs to look like to be an effective vehicle for the hopes and dreams of average yeah. Americans. So they bring up this kind of stuff yeah. and get you to make, get, make me right. answer so this kind of stuff we'll on national television. Congress. Now notice that the claims that he's anti-Semitic are coming from CNN, otherwise known as the Clinton News Network. Now let's all remember that their parent company, Time Warner, was the seventh largest donor to Hillary Clinton. 
So, hmm, I wonder which wing of the party they're siding with here. Now, uh, when asked, do you believe Louis Farrakhan is an anti-Semite, Keith had the perfect response. He said, sure, but what does that have to do with anything going on in this race and in this country at this time? Absolutely nothing. And this is just one of many examples of the Democratic Party establishment misusing identity politics to slander progressives. They've done it to Bernie Sanders multiple times, and they're doing it now to Keith Ellison. So, for example, Hillary Clinton claimed that because Bernie Sanders said, quote, we need to stop yelling across the aisle about gun policy, but because he specifically used the language yell, well, Hillary Clinton took that as sexism because typically when men say that women are yelling, well, they're trying to be sexist. So disregard the substance of what he was saying. I have an opportunity to smear you and I'm going to use it. So that's what Hillary Clinton did. She also said that when Bernie Sanders claimed that this debate about gun policy comes down to differences between urban and rural voters, she said, well, when people use the term urban, typically what they mean is black. No, that's not what he meant, Hillary Clinton. So they try to use identity politics to smear their opponents. And David Brock, he claimed that... Uh, Bernie Sanders didn't care about African-Americans because one of his ads just simply wasn't diverse enough. Now, this guy is the attack dog for Hillary Clinton. He ran two pro-Hillary Clinton super PACs. So the Democratic Party, they have basically discredited themselves. And anytime they cry about misogyny or homophobia or racism, you can bet your ass that they are probably misusing it to smear someone who's actually a progressive. Now, another part in here that bugged me. Congressman, there are some Jewish Democrats who look back, and if you're going to lead the party, they look at those comments with some fear and trepidation. Do you disavow quotes like that? And this is really frustrating to me because Bernie Sanders, again, the country's most successful Jewish presidential candidate, well, he endorsed Keith Ellison. He's Jewish. Chuck Schumer. An establishment Democrat wants the party to win because he's not completely idiotic like everyone else, even though I dislike him. He at least is not a masochist and doesn't want to continue to get defeated and killed by Republicans. He endorsed Keith Ellison. He's also Jewish. So who's perpetuating these lies? I'm not trying to promote the, quote, I have Jewish friends so I can say anti-Semitic things card, just like I have black friends so I can say racist things card. That's not what I'm promoting here. But if you don't mind me using identity politics myself, what is this really about? Well, Keith Ellison is a Muslim. He is the first Muslim congressman, and he actually has a reasonable stance on the Israel and Palestinian conflict. He supports the existence of the state of Israel. He's also in favor of a two-state solution, but he's against Israeli war crimes that are committed in Gaza. And he doesn't condone the illegal settlements that the Israeli government is building on Palestinian land. And guess what? That's really not unreasonable. So does the rest of the international community, hence why the UN has condemned the state of Israel because they're in violation of international law. You can't dispute that fact. Are you going to tell me that the rest of the world is also anti-Semitic? It's ridiculous. And one more thing that Ellison said here, they don't want to talk about what the Democratic Party should look like in order to be an effective vehicle for hopes and dreams of the average Americans. So they bring up this kind of stuff and make, uh, make me answer this on national television. That's exactly it. That's exactly what this is about. Because they don't know how to smear Keith Ellison on the policy substance, so they have to resort to smear tactics and character assassination in order to disqualify him. His plan is to really promote turnout. And 
That's why they failed during this election cycle. Hillary Clinton not only was an uninspiring candidate, but Debbie Wasserman Schultz literally did not do the usual get-out-the-vote campaign that Democrats always do because she was afraid it would help Bernie Sanders. So you guys have discredited yourself. You show that you have no strategy. So it's time for the Democratic establishment and all the hacks that they have doing propaganda in them, uh, in the media for them. It's time for you to step aside. Keith Ellison is the right choice. He's the only choice if you ever want to win again. So it's frustrating that he has to go on TV and defend himself. Keith Ellison is a good guy. Do I disagree with him uh, on some issues? Absolutely. But when it comes to economic populism, that's something that we need. We need an economic populist to promote dem domestic policy in the Democratic Party because that's why you lost. That's why you didn't capture the Rust Belt voters. And the fact that he has to defend himself against these outrageous smears is a distraction. And it's just a typical tactic that the Democratic Party uses all the time against progressives, but yet they don't use this against Republicans. Republicans use it against them, but yet they're kind to Republicans and extend a handout to them. But when it comes to progressives, they spit in our faces. So enough of the bullshit. Stop smearing Keith Ellison. It's not right. So at this point, it's pretty evident that the Democratic Party establishment doesn't want to change. Now, this is either because they are really corrupt and they don't want to stop being corrupt or because they're just stupid and don't know how to change. Most likely, it's a little bit of both, right? But what they are aware of is the fact that the race for the DNC chair is quickly devolving into a Hillary versus Bernie proxy fight. And that's something that they don't want to happen because they know that if the base of the Democratic Party is still divided, well... They're in for a bad time. So Vox explains, with Secretary of Labor Tom Perez reportedly planning to announce this week that he'll run for the Democratic National Committee chair, the race for that marquee office will soon be in full swing. And as the party struggles to find its way in a post-Obama era, many of the people inside and close to the DNC I've spoken with in recent weeks say they hope the race for chair will remain focused on the substantive ideas each candidate proposes for rebuilding the party. But they fear it could become a sequel to the bitter 2016 primary fight. If Perez does jump in, his strongest opposition would be Minnesota Representative Keith Ellison, who has been in the race for a month already and whose candidacy is being championed by Bernie Sanders. Two other candidates with lower national profiles, New Hampshire Democratic Party Chair Raymond Buckley and South Carolina Democratic Party Chair Jamie Harrison, are also running so far. Mayor Pete Buttigieg of South... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a really unfortunate name. Mayor Pete Buttigieg of South Bend, Indiana, is also weighing a bid, political reports. While Perez was a Clinton supporter and Ellison backed Sanders, both of them have been long understood to have solidly progressive credentials. That's a joke. Both are well-respected throughout the party, and both will likely say generally similar things about where Democrats should go, a better economic message, more organizing, and more focus on the states. Yeah, sorry, but... No, he's not a progressive. If you endorse Hillary Clinton over a candidate like Bernie Sanders, you're also endorsing all of the baggage that she has. So you're endorsing her cozy relationship with Wall Street. You're endorsing her, her warmongering policies. That doesn't sound very progressive, does it? Because it's not progressive. So I'm sorry, buddy, but if you want to be the DNC chair and you backed Hillary Clinton, who ultimately lost and gave us Donald Trump... Not happening. Step aside. So they continue. Still, all sides acknowledge the race remains wide open. Keith is clearly ahead, but I think the race is very fluid. I don't think anyone has the votes right now to win outright, says Minnesota Democratic Farmer Labor Party Chair 
Ken Martin, who has endorsed Ellison, and many DNC members from state parties who make up the vast majority of the committee's membership weren't yet sold on Ellison's candidacy and have been waiting to see whether another candidate with stature would jump in, I'm told. The feedback I've heard after recent candidate events is that everyone's been fine, but people wanted to see a broader field. There's been a waiting for Tom Perez's dynamic, one undecided state party chair tells me. People are putting a very high bar before they're deciding who they'll be for. It's the world against the Democratic Party right now. We need someone who can really take charge and be a unique leader at a challenging time. Well, to that one undecided uh, DNC member, let me make it really easy for you. Uh, there is no choice for you. You pick Keith Ellison or you lose the progressive wing of the party forever. We're not open to compromise. Uh, we don't want to negotiate with you. Either you do what we tell you or we bounce and go to the Green Party. You are on the cusp of permanently losing a generation of voters. With the extent to which you guys killed the spirit that millennials had during this election and made them stay home by rigging the primary against their candidate, Bernie Sanders, you should be begging you should be on your knees kissing the asses of millennials and progressives right now after what you did so the fact that you're quote waiting to see you know if the field's gonna broaden because you don't want to pick keith ellison because you still want to be corrupt and stupid well that's over you have no choice the decision is over with either you pick ellison or you're done so i don't know if you still want to have a party or if you want to be divided for decades and lose an entire generation but you have one choice in this race Keith Ellison, and if anyone else decides to step in, unless they endorsed Bernie Sanders or are exclusively from that wing of the Democratic Party, you're done. No more uh, conservative Democrats. I'm tired of the blue dog wing of the party running things. And no more centrism and no more faux progressives that supported Hillary Clinton, a conservative neoliberal candidate. I'm done with that. It's over. You guys had your chance and you ruined it. Now it's our turn. Allow the Bernie wing of the party to come through and try to actually fix the party. So this centrism that you guys are continuing to push was bullshit. And the answer is not to move further to the right like I know you guys want to do. The answer is not to be more corrupt. The answer is to just be progressive. Look at public opinion polls and see that a majority of the population supports universal health care. They support raising the minimum wage. And if you don't champion those ideas very vocally, you're in for a bad time. So the only people that assured us that they know that this is the direction the party needs to go in is anyone from Bernie Sanders' wing of the party. So Keith Ellison proved himself when he put his career on the line to endorse the candidate that the establishment hated. So if you don't go with that candidate, you lose a generation. So this is a big decision, uh, and it really isn't a decision if you're smart. But if you mess this up, you're done. Never gonna get it, never gonna get it. Never gonna get it, never gonna get it. Never gonna get it, never gonna get it. Never gonna get it. Amid calls for Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel to step down, he has remained defiant. Now, even though people are urging for him to step down and he's incredibly unpopular, there's one journalist in Chicago Magazine and she penned an article which reads, The DNC needs a new leader. How about Rahm? No, thank you. That's it. That's all I have to say. No. 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 Hell no! 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 I refuse- No! No! 
Bernie Sanders was on an MSNBC town hall event with Donald Trump supporters, and there was a really important moment in there which I think perfectly illustrates exactly why Bernie Sanders would have beat Donald Trump if he was the Democratic Party's nominee. Who's paying for this? Right? Who's paying for the Medicaid? Who's paying for the Social Security? Who's paying for the Medicare? Who? Mm -hmm. Thank you. We are. Now, have any of you seen down on streets that it seems as though we have become the silent minority and not the majority? What do you mean by that? How much have we been listened to, really? But who's the, who's the we when you say this? You mean us people? Who people? The people who need the Medicare, the people who need the Social Security, who needs the help with the education. Okay, but now here's good good point. Let's let's see if we can go forward on this. I am assuming that you believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that we should not cut Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid. Is that correct or not? Yeah. Okay. I believe it shouldn't be cut. Okay. Do you know who is now working very hard to try to do that? Republicans in Congress have a plan under the guise of saving Medicare and saving Social Security, making devastating cuts. That's what Republicans are now trying to do. The other point that you made, which is a very, I think you made it, or you, both of you have made it actually, is who's going to pay for this stuff? And that is a very fair point. What all of us should know is that over the last 25 years, there has been a massive transfer of wealth in this country from you to the top one-tenth of one percent. In other words, the middle class has shrunk and trillions of dollars have gone to the top one-tenth of one percent. Do you think it's inappropriate to ask those people to stop paying their fair share of taxes so we can adequately fund Medicaid and making public colleges and universities tuition free? Is that an unfair thing to ask? I think it's an unfair thing to ask. They, the one percenters, they got rich off us. That's right. So it's time they put back. Okay. All right. That's all I'm saying. So what you just saw right there was Bernie Sanders converting one of Donald Trump's supporters in real time. And the way that he worded his message was masterful because he worded it in a way that is so obvious that you can't reject it. It just makes sense. Now, I know that what Bernie Sanders said didn't resonate with Washington elites, uh, and they reject the premise that Americans deserve healthcare and that it's a right, and they reject the idea of universal education. But when you say that to everyday Americans and you just break it down and explain it in that way, it resonates. And that's exactly what Bernie Sanders would have done if he were the nominee, but on a grander scale. And I think that Bernie Sanders would have won probably pretty handily against Donald Trump. And people still contend that he would have lost because Republicans would have fear-mongered over him calling himself a social democrat. But you have a literal proto-fascist running on the Republican side, and voters weren't afraid of that. So are you honestly trying to tell me that a social democrat who's been consistent throughout his entire career, whose message is on point, would have lost to a dim-witted buffoon like Trump? No way. Now, another part in there that was pretty powerful that shows why he would have defeated Donald Trump was when a Donald Trump was su supporter was trying to explain away all of Trump's most egregious policies, like his Muslim ban or the fact that he wants to deport 11 million undocumented immigrants. Well, that supporter basically said, look, Donald Trump is not actually going to do these things. And Bernie Sanders said, well, why would you vote for a liar? I yeah. think that uh, a lot of what he says is just unimplementable rhetoric. 
just to gain attention and uh, it would never be congressionally approved. Well, uh, as somebody who's in the Congress, uh, let me not, uh, I'm not quite so sure that, that uh, you're right. Um, but I think that um, there's no question to my mind, and I find it interesting that what three out of four of you are saying is, yeah, he talked about that stuff, but it'll never happen. We don't believe that it will ever happen. Uh, why do you vote for somebody who, in a sense, then is lying? That was a really strong moment right there. And you can't respond to that. You just can't. They agreed with Trump economically and tried to look past all of his more crazy policy positions. But I mean, to look past it and say you think he's just bullshitting. I mean, you're knowingly voting for someone who's lying to you. So after watching this, I am convinced he would have won. Now, people will respond and say, well, Mike, why didn't Bernie Sanders win the primary if he's such a great uh, you know, debater and if he is able to... Uh, put forth such a powerful message. Well, that's simple. Nobody heard his message. The media did not cover Bernie Sanders. There was a blackout. Uh, and furthermore, look at who voters chose. They chose Clinton on the left and Trump on the right. So if you have name recognition, that just makes your pe a, a message that much more powerful, even if you don't really have a message like Clinton or Trump. So Bernie Sanders would be the president right now if the Democratic Party did not rig the primary against him. Now, if you could rehold the primary under fair conditions, uh, I really think he would have won. And if he was the party's nominee, we would have a president, Bernie Sanders. So it's just so sad because we're always going to look back at this point and think, what could have been? But now we're going to go backwards instead of jumping forward drastically with Bernie Sanders. And it's, it sucks, man. It really does suck. So Democrats really, they messed this up for all of us. And I'm probably never going to stop being bitter about that, honestly. So even though Donald Trump hasn't been sworn in yet, he's already done a ton of just downright disturbing things as president-elect. However, one thing that he's not doing that's incredibly problematic is attending his daily presidential intelligence briefings. Now, when asked why he's not attending these, he states, quote, I'm a smart person. I don't need to be told the same things every single day for the next eight years. Really? Well, one, you've demonstrated that you not only lack intelligence, meaning you probably have a low IQ, but you've shown us that you're just uninformed. Do you even know about the dispute between Morocco and the Western Sahara? Do you know the difference between a Shia and a Sunni Muslim? Do you know how volatile the situation is right now between China and Taiwan? I don't think you know about these things, Donald Trump. Do you know that Pakistan and India are on the verge of nuclear warfare. They're both armed, they have WMDs, and they hate each other. Do you know about that as president? No, so you're dumb and uninformed. That makes for a very troubling combination. So you're not a smart person. And second of all, you're a hypocrite because you criticized Obama for not attending the same presidential intelligence briefings. So in one tweet, you said, priorities while fundraising and campaigning on our dime, Obama has skipped over 50% of his intel briefings. You also said, fact, Obama does not read his intelligence briefings, nor does he get briefed in person by the CIA or DOD. Too busy, I guess. But I mean, putting your hypocrisy aside, I don't even care about that. I just care about the fact that by not attending these presidential intelligence briefings, you're putting our national security at risk and making us vulnerable to an attack. So 
I thought that Michael Moore, of all people, had the best response to Donald Trump, and what he said uh, I think was really poignant. So I wanted to share that with you. He states, A week has gone by since Donald Trump admitted he's only been to two or three of his daily presidential national security briefings. There have been 36 of them since the day he secured enough electoral college votes to be appointed president next Monday when the electoral college meets. Most would agree the number one job of the leader of any country is to keep its people safe. There is no more important meeting every day for the president than the one where he learns what the day's potential threats are to the country. That Trump would find it too cumbersome or too annoying to have to sit through 20 minutes of listening to his top intelligence people tell him who's trying to kill us today simply boggles the mind. Of course, our minds have been so boggled so many times in the past year by this foolish man, no one seems this that surprised or concerned. He can get up at 5 in the morning and send angry, childish tweets about how he's being portrayed on SNL or belittling the local elected union leader in Indiana, but he doesn't have time to hear about the threats to our national security. So, my fellow Americans, when the next terrorist attack happens, and it will happen, we all know that, and after the tragedy is over, amidst the death and destruction that might have been prevented, you will see Donald Trump acting quickly to blame everyone but himself. He will suspend constitutional rights, he will round up anyone he deems a threat, he will declare war, and his Republican Congress will back him. We had a president like him before. He, too, lost the popular vote, a majority of Americans saying they didn't want him in the Oval Office, but his governor slash brother and his ex-CIA chief slash dad's appointees to the Supreme Court put an end to that, and he was installed as commander-in-chief on August 6, 2001. He was on a month-long vacation at his ranch in Texas. That morning, the White House counsel handed him his daily national security briefing. He glanced at it, set it aside, and then went fishing for the rest of the day. Below is the photo of that moment which I showed the world in Fahrenheit 9-11. The headline on the security briefing reads, Bin Laden determined to strike inside the U.S. On the top page, it tells how Bin Laden will do this, with planes. George W. Bush didn't leave the ranch to go back to work for the next four weeks. In the fifth week, Bin Laden attacked the U.S. with planes on September 11th. It's one thing to have a president who is asleep on the wheel, but my friends, it's a whole other thing to now have a president-elect who refuses to even get behind the wheel. This utter neglect of duty, a daily snub at the people who work to protect us, the first commander-in-chief to literally be AWOL and announcing proudly he isn't going to change, this, I assure you, is going to get a lot of innocent people killed. And he's absolutely right. I agree with 100% of this right here. And I, I sometimes disagree with Michael Moore, but in the end, I do respect him. And I think that he's making a very valid point and Donald Trump needs to pay attention. I mean, when you look at 9-11, it was preventable. If George W. Bush actually considered, seriously considered, the intelligence that he received we could have saved thousands of lives. I don't get why Donald Trump is not attending his intelligence briefings. It doesn't make any sense to me. You have nothing to lose by attending it. And yes, there is going to be some repetition because you will be updated on current events uh, going on in the world. But I mean, this is something that doesn't just impact you. This affects the whole country. So if you are going to be negligent, then just step down. Just step down and give the job to Mike Pence. We hate Mike Pence, but if he's going to read the intelligence briefings, then... Let's have him do it, okay? It's not okay when Obama skips, like you rightfully criticized him for, and it's not okay when you skip. This is something that's non-negotiable. If you want to be president, you have to do the job that comes with being president. The fact that this is even something we're talking about is just utterly absurd. Donald Trump, read the intelligence briefings. I mean, this is a matter of national security. So any lives 
that are lost because of a terrorist attack that could have been avoided due to your negligence, that's going to be blood on your hands. And yes, we will call you out for it. But we don't want it to get to that. That's the whole point. We don't want it to get to that. We have nothing to win or gain from doing a blame game. Nothing. We just want us to be safe. Bernie Sanders was on MSNBC and was asked about Donald Trump, and he had some really sharp criticisms of Donald Trump, and everything that he said was on point, and I thought it was great. But there were a couple of things in there that Bernie Sanders stated that I think were really important that I wanted to highlight and talk about when we come back. So let's listen. The man who is soon to be the most powerful person on the earth, uh, I don't think that's hyperbole, using his platform to insult and attack a union president in Indianapolis. I mean, I think, what can we say, Chris? The word incredible or unbelievable is no longer applicable to Mr. Trump because uh, he does one crazy thing after another. But to attack a local labor leader in Indianapolis who has fought valiantly uh, for his workers to protect the jobs of his steel workers is, is really unbelievable. But uh, as is usually the case, with Mr. Trump, there's more uh, beneath the surface. And that is what he was really doing, is, I think, sending a message to the entire trade union movement that do not stand up and fight for working people, or we're going to go after you. Uh, we need to, in my view, we need to grow the trade union movement in America. We need to make it easier for workers to be able to engage in collective bargaining. And what Trump is saying is exactly the opposite. Trump told us he was going to stand up to large corporations who are outsourcing. What he ended up doing in the case of United Technologies and Carrier is give them a tax break. And I think what Trump's ire comes from, his anger comes from, is the Chuck Jones told the truth. You know, when you talk about what his rhetoric was like on the campaign trail referring to the president-elect uh, and, and what his policies would be like, today we got his announcement of uh, uh, his nominee for Department of Labor, uh, a business magnate, uh, Mr. Puzder, uh, who runs Carl's Jr., who who doesn't believe in minimum wage increases. Uh, what's your, your response to that? Well, my response is that everybody who voted for Mr. Trump who believed his campaign promises, who thought that he was really going to stand up to the establishment and fight for working people, please pay attention to the reality of what he's doing rather than his campaign rhetoric. I think almost everybody in America, Chris, including many Republicans, understand that we need to raise the minimum wage to a living wage, in my view, 15 bucks an hour. So he hires somebody who makes his money through fast food by paying people very low wages, many of these people have to get public assistance from taxpayers through Medicaid, through food stamps. That's the way this guy does business. This is a guy who thinks that automation should replace uh, higher paid fast food workers. So you got an anti-worker, Secretary of Labor nominee, rather than fulfilling Mr. Trump's promises of saying he was going to side with the working people so, of this country. And the question here to you is, <laughs> are you confident that's still the case, that should it be the case that wages decline, that outsourcing continues, that the economic squeeze on the middle class continues under President Trump, that folks will pin it on him and, and not pin it on you or the Democrats or some other scapegoat? Uh, well, you're raising a very profound question, uh, and that is, what do you do when you have 
a president-elect, soon to be president, who, and I say this not happily, uh, but I think most people who observe them would agree is a pathological liar who changes his mind every single day. And what you're asking, does any of that matter? And I think the answer is that I am working very hard on this, and we need the help of the American people, obviously, is to build a movement of millions of people who actually are following reality. Right. Okay, and that's, that's the challenge. Real change in this country, I am more and more convinced of it, is not going to come from Capitol Hill. It's going to come from grassroots so, America. So when it comes to Donald Trump's attack on a local union leader, I think Bernie Sanders picked up on something that nobody else in the media was aware of, and that was that Trump was sending a message to the rest of the labor movement saying, you know, this is going to be my attitude and my response to you. And this is proven in Donald Trump's actions as well. This isn't just speculative because he's literally appointing uh, the CEO of Carl's Jr., Andrew Puzder, as labor secretary. Now, this is an anti-labor individual. And Donald Trump, we all know he's going to be a big union buster, and that's going to be bad for the labor movement. That's going to be horrible for the fight for 15. Picking up on that little implicit message that Donald Trump was sending to union leaders, I thought that was really important, and I really hope that more people pay attention to what Bernie Sanders is saying, because he's really privy to Donald Trump's logic, and he picks up on these little nuances that nobody else seems to realize, but you really have to dive a little bit deeper and realize what he's saying. Now, uh, he also said that Donald Trump is a pathological liar, and this is just completely evident. I mean, I don't think anyone can dispute this. Even if you're a supporter of Donald Trump, you can't deny the fact that he's a liar. In fact, many of Donald Trump's own supporters think that Donald Trump is a liar because when uh, when they are asked, you know, how do you condone or justify your vote for Donald Trump in spite of the Muslim ban and him wanting to deport 11 million undocumented I immigrants, they'll say, well, he's not actually going to do that. You know, he's just saying it because he's, you know, he's crazy and whatnot. He's being a madman, but, you know, we all love it. He's just entertaining us. Right. But he's lying and you're acknowledging that he's lying and you're still supporting him. I yep. think that uh, a lot of what he says is just unimplementable rhetoric just to gain attention and uh, it would never be congressionally approved. If you're supporting someone who you know is a liar, who's a proven liar, who's been on every side of every single issue, why would you support them? It makes zero sense to me. It really does. So I'm really perplexed at this phenomenon that is the Donald Trump supporter because it doesn't make sense to me. And I'm still equally confused, perhaps, at Hillary Clinton uh, because she's also a pathological liar too. But, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me that if you know a candidate is a liar, why you would support them. Now, Bernie Sanders said that real change will not come from Capitol Hill. It's going to come when millions of Americans choose to stand up. Now, I think this is key here because Bernie Sanders, you know, when he was asked during the primary how he would put uh, many of these policies uh, into place, how, how we would make them a reality, like universal healthcare, he said, look, it's not going to be up to me. It's going to rely on the millions of Americans that actually go to Capitol Hill, that go to Congress and show up at the office of their senator and demand them to fight for universal healthcare. That's what it's going to take. And if anything's become very evident during the course of this election, it's that uh, <laughs> we have two political parties that are complete and utterly 
terrible. Republicans are so extreme that they're off the political spectrum, and Democrats are just so incompetent and only care about being corrupt and their donors that they're not willing to stand up and fight for us. So we have to take matters into our own hands. And I think that looking at the Dakota Access Pipeline situation and how the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and members of uh, of the group that was part of that water protector community, how they were relentless and they got stuff done. They got Obama to pay attention and they got that pipeline uh, halted for now at least. I think that that's the strategy that we need going forward. It's time that we really step up and stop relying on these corrupt public officials to represent us when they don't. See, I think that the correct method is strategies like Wolfpack, where you go at your go to your state legislature, where they're more likely to pay attention to you, and you get them to pass a constitutional amendment or to call for a constitutional convention, specifically an Article 5 convention, that will abolish money from politics. And we don't have to go through Congress or rely on Congress. We can completely and utterly subvert Congress. So I think this type of grassroots strategy is what's been missing in American politics for a really long time. To really look back at the successful movements like the civil rights movement, the labor movement of the 1930s, the gay rights movement, you know, the feminist movement in the 20s. These are the things that we have to do. I think we've just become too complacent and it's difficult because we're working longer hours for lower wages. So we're having to get second jobs and nobody has time to pay attention to politics, let alone go and protest. But if we really want change, We've got to do this because I think that Bernie Sanders' strategy is the right strategy. And if we really want to stop Donald Trump from doing horrible, destructive things, then this is the way to go. So I really wish that Bernie Sanders, uh, that the media would pay more attention to Bernie Sanders. He's finally getting coverage because he doesn't threaten Hillary Clinton anymore. But, you know, if they listened to him during the primary, we'd be in a very different predicament than we are now. So, I mean, it's too little too late for the media to kind of right the wrongs that they did and to uh, take back the $2 billion in free coverage that they gave to Donald Trump because that made them lots and lots of money. But I think that now, going forward, it's time that we listen to people like Bernie Sanders, who's, who brought millions of people into the political process, and we really focus on grassroots strategies because... What we were doing wasn't working, and, you know, we need change, and we have to stop these two just incompetent, grotesque parties from further destroying the country more so than they already have. Greg Gutfield of Fox News attacked Bernie Sanders in what was probably one of the most bizarre, uh, out-of-touch, misinformed, tone-deaf political hit jobs I've ever seen, because he claims that Bernie Sanders asserted that Donald Trump won because people rejected uh, political correctness. Uh, however, the clip that he shows of Bernie Sanders talking does not feature Bernie Sanders saying anything about political correctness. In fact, he talks about something completely different. So Greg Gutfeld builds a rant against Bernie Sanders based on a straw man of what he said Bernie Sanders was saying, yet he didn't show Bernie Sanders saying what Greg Gutfeld was angry about Bernie Sanders saying in said clip in question. It's just weird. So take a look and then we'll discuss it. In a town hall, Bernie Sanders claims Donald Trump won because people got sick of political correctness. Bernie's right until he defined what politi politically correct actually means. For years and years, we have been told by Republicans and many Democrats that our trade policy was a great idea, that it was working for America. Well, you know what? The American people don't believe it. They think there's something wrong when just with permanent normal trade relations with China and the Mexican free trade agreement, we have lost some 4 million decent paying jobs. 
The American people, I think, want candidates and politicians to have the guts to stand up to the billionaire class and start representing the middle class and working families of this country. I don't think it's more complicated than that. See what he did there? He turned real rebellion against the PC into something about class warfare. <laughs> Sorry, Bernie, it's not about the billionaire class. There are 540 billionaires in America, small oh. class. Oof. But there are thousands of jerks telling us that we're evil. See, the PC rebellion is about a reaction against the media academic complex, which tells us what to say or else. People were tired of the identity wars that pitted young versus old, white versus black, gay versus straight. It's why each time a celebrity feminist lectured us on Trump, mm. Hillary lost more votes. Every time Lena Dunham opened her trap, her causes shriveled, among other things. So it's not about trade or the rich. Industrialists aren't screaming slurs on campus telling us which pronouns are offensive or why Christmas carols are microaggressions. That's the PC movement. Power-mad twerps who use reputational smears to brand all of us as evil until we submit. And that's what bugs me about Sanders. He's been a socialist forever, mired in left-wing politics for decades, and now he diagnoses the problem? Dude, you are the problem. From the 1970s to now, you cared and you watered this toxic movement. So Bernie, 2016 was about millions of Americans becoming intolerant of that intolerant class. Let's hope it sticks. So in his diagnosis as to why Donald Trump won, Bernie Sanders mentioned free trade deals and how we've lost millions of jobs because of them. Uh, and he also said that Americans want politicians to stand up to the billionaire class. Okay, then Gutfield says, see what he did there. Uh, he turned real rebellion against PC into something about class warfare. Uh, I don't think he did. And if he did, uh, maybe you should give us the full context next time so you don't look like a disingenuous prick. Let's get into some of the other things he said. He said, sorry, Bernie, it's not about the billionaire class. There are some 540 billionaires in America. Small class. 540 billionaires in America. Small class. Small class. Small class. Right. So it makes it even more absurd that those 540 people are able to buy our government officials and turn them into puppets and do what they want as opposed to what the rest of the country want. Is that like that's why we're angry. Such a small group of people have immense power. So I don't get how that proves your point. Now, he gets back on the topic of the PC police. He said, the PC rebellion is about a reaction against the media academic complex, which I don't know what that means, which tells us what to say or else. That's the PC movement. Power-mad twerps who use reputational smears to brand all of us as evil until we submit. Okay, sure, I'll accept that argument, but... That's happening on the right, too. You know that, right? How many Christians were triggered by this billboard, for example? How many Christians get triggered when we make fun of God and Jesus? And who was it again that called for a literal safe space because he didn't want any criticism? Oh, that's right. It was the president-elect that you voted for. And now he also sues people that make fun of him. Talk about being triggered. And you motherfuckers literally defend, quote, religious liberty laws that allow Christians to kick gay people out of their businesses because they're triggered by homosexuality. That sounds like some right-wing PC bullshit to me. And why does it seem like I offend more people if I say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas? Why is that the case? Happy holidays is just more correct because we're literally celebrating multiple holidays. Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever. And New Year's. So to say happy holidays, it's just more correct. But yet if 
I say happy holidays, that ends up uh, becoming more outrageous and politically incorrect than just saying Merry Christmas. Well, fuck me for wanting to be more inclusive because I know Jewish people who celebrate Hanukkah, right? I mean, it, it's just, it's so strange to me that these are the things that you focus on and you can't even see the hypocrisy on your own side. See, the difference between uh, left-wing social justice warriors and right-wing social justice warriors is that uh, the left-wing PC crowd, you know, the college students who call for safe spaces, at least they have people on the right and the left calling them out. But the right-wing social justice warriors, they have real political power and nobody checks them on your side. You give them a free pass and allow them to do whatever they want under the guise of religious liberty or freedom. When that's bullshit. Now, he also said it's why each time a celebrity feminist lectured us on Trump, Hillary lost more votes. I actually don't disagree with him here. Uh, I don't necessarily think it lost her votes, but I think it just turned people off to Hillary Clinton's message because she really overused identity politics and misused identity politics. So I don't have anything wrong with what he's saying here. Now, he said uh, about Bernie Sanders, he's been a socialist forever, mired in left-wing politics for decades, and now he diagnoses the problem? Dude, you are the problem. From the 1970s to now, you cared and watered this toxic movement. So Bernie, 2016 was about millions of Americans becoming intolerant of that intolerant class. So you're saying Bernie Sanders' message was toxic. Here's an example of Bernie Sanders' message. In our country today, we have more income and wealth inequality than any other major industrialized nation on earth. And brothers and sisters, together, we are going to end that disgrace. Now, the truth is, that America today is the wealthiest country in the history of the world. But most people don't know that. Most people don't feel that. Most people don't see that because almost all of the wealth rests in the hands of a tiny few. Ooh, that seems pretty divisive and toxic to me, doesn't it, Greg? Is that why when Bernie Sanders talks to Trump supporters, he's able to convert them on the spot because uh, what he's saying makes sense and a majority of Americans agree with it? Do you think it's inappropriate to ask those people to stop paying their fair share of taxes so we can adequately fund Medicaid and making public colleges and universities tuition free? Is that an unfair thing to ask? It's an See, it seems like when you hear Bernie Sanders and see Bernie Sanders, you get triggered, Greg. So let me ask you this. Does somebody need a safe space, Greg? Because <laughs> it seems like just the sight of Bernie Sanders sets you off on this incoherent rant when I don't even know the full context. Was Bernie Sanders actually talking about political correctness or do you just think Donald Trump won because of political correctness? And uh, you think everyone is supposed to have the same belief. Is that a part of it? Sure. But I think what it really came down to was the fact that turnout was low, which benefited Republicans. And Donald Trump didn't really get more or less votes than any other Republican presidential candidates. I mean, it's uh, his vote totals are comparable to Mitt Romney's in 2012 and John McCain's in 2008. So really, it was because Democrats weren't inspired to vote for Hillary Clinton. That's a big part of it. But I, I, I just don't understand how you connect the dot from Bernie Sanders' message about trade deals to PC outrage and whatnot. It, it makes no sense to me. So that's why I say that this was one of the most bizarre political hit jobs because it really made no sense. I don't get what Greg Gutfeld is trying to say here. Why 
is what Bernie Sanders is saying connected to political correctness in any way, shape, or form? I don't know. So he's going to actually have to redo this segment, but actually give us the context next time. Since her embarrassing loss to Donald Trump, an orange clown who anyone should have been able to beat, Hillary Clinton is not taking any time off. Now, what is she choosing to do in her newfangled free time? Well, instead of trying to make the world a better place and directing her immense power and wealth towards a good progressive cause, Hillary Clinton instead is choosing to be a sore loser and is now taking aim at the First Amendment. Let me just mention briefly one thread in particular that should concern all Americans, Democrats, Republicans, and independents alike, especially those who serve in our Congress. The epidemic of malicious fake news and false propaganda that flooded social media over the past year, it's now clear that so-called fake news can have real-world consequences. This isn't about politics or partisanship. Lives are at risk, lives of ordinary people just trying to go about their days to do their jobs, contribute to their communities. It's a danger that must be addressed and addressed quickly. Bipartisan legislation is making its way through Congress to boost the government's response to foreign propaganda and Silicon Valley is starting to grapple with the challenge and threat of fake news. It's imperative that leaders in both the private sector and the public sector step up to protect our democracy and innocent lives. So what she said there may seem relatively benign, but trust me, there are very disturbing implications with what she's saying. So she says, quote, fake news can have real world consequences. This isn't about politics or partisanship lives are at risk. Now, I find this statement pretty ironic when it comes to Hillary Clinton, specifically with respect to fake news, because Hillary Clinton believed fake news that led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. So, for example, uh, when she was a senator from New York, she believed the fake news story that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, and that led her to vote for the Iraq War, which is one of the biggest foreign policy blunders in American history. Hillary Clinton wasn't speaking out against fake news then, was she? No. In fact, she was silent on fake news. She believes fake news stories, and it leads to the deaths of thousands of Iraqi civilians, and she doesn't really care. It leads to the death of thousands of American troops. You know, she's silent, but now that it caused her to lose an election, allegedly, now she cares about fake news. And also, I want to know where Hillary Clinton was during the primary when there was a lot of fake news spread against Bernie Sanders that really hurt his campaign. So, for example, there was the fake Bernie Bros narrative that all of his supporters were just deranged misogynists that hated Hillary Clinton specifically because she was a woman, which is factually incorrect because we supported Elizabeth Warren before Hillary Clinton got into the race, before we knew that Bernie Sanders would run, and second of all, we voted for Jill Stein. But nonetheless, this story was very prevalent, and almost everyone in the mainstream media bought it, and many individual voters bought it as well. Did Hillary Clinton come out and condemn this fake news story saying no bernie sanders supporters are progressive bernie sanders identifies as a feminist and he's fought for women's rights he has a record in the senate and in the house showing that he stands up for women's rights did she do that 
No, she was silent on fake news then. And also when it comes to fake news, David Brock, who is basically the head of the left's Breitbart, he was perpetuating so much fake news about Bernie Sanders. He said that because Bernie Sanders didn't feature enough diversity in one of his ads, well, he must be racially insensitive. He created this fake narrative that Bernie Sanders was just running a divisive, disgusting campaign where all he could do was smear Hillary Clinton, when in actuality, that's what he was doing, but Hillary Clinton didn't condemn fake news then. So I'm just curious, Hillary Clinton, why is it that you only choose to speak out about fake news if it impacts you getting elected, but when fake news kills people, literally, in foreign countries, when fake news is used to smear your opponents, why don't you care about that then? Don't you think your priorities are kind of messed up if that's the only time you're choosing to care about fake news? Now, another thing that she said there, it's a danger that must be addressed and addressed quickly. Bipartisan legislation is making its way through Congress to boost the government's response to foreign propaganda. So this is really troubling to me. Now, I don't want to downplay the problem that is fake news because I do agree that fake news is a problem in this country. The number one news network in the country is effectively a fake news network that just peddles propaganda for the Republican Party. And look, when you look at news networks, so-called, quote, news networks like Breitbart and Infowars, they literally fabricate news and people believe it. They make things up and so many people buy it. And you have someone like Alex Jones who was exploiting his audience and is selling them supplements on top of misinforming them with complete and utterly bogus conspiracy theories. So I'm not going to say that fake news is not a problem. And I wish that people would educate themselves so that way they can choose to be a more responsible consumer of media. Fake news is a problem. But does that mean that we need legislation to try to prevent fake news? No, because this is really scary. How do we determine what's fake news and what's not fake news? Because a lot of what Hillary Clinton did, which was fake news in my opinion, would not be considered fake news to her. So if you're going to allow the government to determine what's real and what's not when it comes to news, you really set up this slippery slope that allows them to do propaganda and to misinform the public. So if you think that legislation to address fake news will in fact stop fake news, you're just horribly mistaken. Mistaken. I don't know how this is something that's enforceable. It's not enforceable. So the answer is not legislation. The answer is more education. The answer is trying to inform the populace so that way we do make more informed decisions at voting booths. The answer is not to try to clamp down on the First Amendment and shut down people who propagate fake news or who say things that we disagree with. And this is exactly what any type of legislation to address fake news would do. So this is really an attack on the First Amendment that Hillary Clinton is waging. So you would think that she would instead try to take the extra time that she's going to have now to try to do something good in the world. But instead, she's choosing to be a sore loser and attack what she thinks caused her to lose this election. Well, Hillary Clinton, if you want to know why you lost, look in the mirror. Many of the pundits in the mainstream media carried water for Hillary Clinton and her campaign and did propaganda for them. Now, one person who didn't, who really stood out, was Mika Brzezinski, who was the co-host of Morning Joe on MSNBC. Now, she's one of the few people who actually covered Bernie Sanders' campaign when, is he, when he was getting thousands of people to attend his rallies. She also covered the DNC's bias against Bernie Sanders, and for daring to criticize Hillary Clinton, she explains that the campaign tried to silence her. I was concerned the campaign was 
not understanding that uh, perhaps there was an arrogance that needed to sort of get up their high horse and understand that this isn't over, I'll just say it. NBC got a call from the campaign. Like, I had, had done something that was journalistically inappropriate or something and needed to be pulled off the air. Mm. I mean, think about that. Yeah. That's just... That's, that's well, shooting the wrong you know, messenger. By, by, by the way, Mika, there were also people surrounding the campaign that tried to tell the campaign it was in trouble. Those people were shut out. Now, I think that this really demonstrates the hubris of Hillary Clinton's campaign because she was expecting everyone in the media to do propaganda for her, and many of them did. There's a reason why we call CNN the Clinton News Network. It's because they did a lot of pro-Clinton news and just ignored Bernie Sanders, which effectively helped to kill off his campaign. So Mika Brzezinski, I think that there were many times where she really spoke truth to power, and I commend her for that. But, you know, it shows that if you if you go against the grain, if you go against the flow and what the establishment wants— there's going to be consequences for it. So they tried to silence Mika Brzezinski. Now, I get that this is just her saying that, and this is, uh, you know, her accusation. She's not providing any evidence for it. But should we believe Mika Brzezinski? Well, I'll let you decide. So we all remember when Mika Brzezinski famously asked Debbie Wasserman Schultz to step down, right? Why would Bernie Sanders politely get in line? For the Democratic Party, because Hillary Clinton, I sure as hell, I sure as hell wouldn't if a, if the party I was a member of treated me like this, rigged the she debate process, down. rigged Iowa, rigged the entire thing going. Down. This caused a complete and utter shitstorm. So first, Debbie Wasserman Schultz sent an email to Chuck Todd asking him to meet with her to discuss Mika's comments because she was pissed. Then, in a message to then-DNC Communications Director Luis Miranda, well, she said, This is the last straw. Please call Phil Griffin. This is outrageous. She needs to apologize. Miranda responded saying, since you already went to Chuck, I'll wait for his response. Then Debbie Wasserman Schultz replied, I think we need to speak to both of them. I've been talking to Phil about this since our breakfast. So this not only illustrates that Hillary Clinton's campaign, which Debbie Wasserman Schultz was part of Hillary Clinton's campaign because not only was she her campaign co-chair in 2008, but after she was forced to resign for corruption in 2016, she went on to be Hillary Clinton's honorary campaign chair. Now, this illustrates that they were colluding with the media because she mentioned in that email that she talked with Phil Griffin about this multiple times. So they probably saw that Morning Joe was covering Bernie Sanders and uh, was talking about the bias uh, in the DNC, and she didn't like it. So, you know, that was the last straw. If you dare to criticize the establishment and Hillary Clinton and the DNC, they're going to have a problem. So because of this shitstorm and because of the way that they tried to silence Mika Brzezinski before, can we believe her now? Absolutely, we should believe her. I don't doubt the story at all. I don't doubt it for one minute because the thing about Hillary Clinton and the DNC and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, all these people, they do not like it if you don't tell the party line, you're supposed to be part of the establishment. I mean, MSNBC is basically the propaganda wing of the Democratic Party. So to see someone very vocally speak out against their obviously corrupt tactics against Bernie Sanders, well, they don't like that. So I absolutely stand with Mika on this one. And Hillary Clinton, 
she should really be ashamed of the campaign that she ran because she she has no idea why she lost, right? She blames James Comey. They blame Russia. But how about this? Maybe it's the case that your own base didn't come out to support you because you pissed a lot of them off. Not only do you lose when you split the base, this is just common knowledge, but if you abandon what little voters you have left and start courting neoconservatives, if you refuse to campaign in Michigan, according to a political story, you decided to ignore the grassroots recommendation to campaign in certain states, you lose. Your campaign was bereft of strategy. You had no message. I don't know what I'm with her means. I don't know what stronger together means. You put forth no real reason for voters to support you, Hillary Clinton. So the fact that people were criticizing you, you should have seen that criticism criticism and actually implemented whatever people were saying into your campaign because you surrounded yourself by yes men and yes women and all they did was confirm everything that you thought was true when it wasn't you put yourself in a bubble and you lost and now donald trump is president because of it so you should be embarrassed and i'm glad that mika brzezinski is speaking out there's a new article in the Huffington Post titled, Things I Blame for Hillary Clinton's Loss Ranked. Now, in this article, the journalist contends that basically everything and everyone except Hillary Clinton are to blame. Now, I honestly was not sure if this was a satirical article, and I was apprehensive about covering it because I didn't want to get duped into covering something that was supposed to be a comedy piece. But I did my research. I confirmed this, in fact is a real legitimate argument that someone is making. So let's go ahead and uh, hear this journalist out. So reasons 1 through 99 are misogyny. <laughs> we've, we've heard this argument time and again. Look, here's the thing. If you disagree with Hillary Clinton and her corruption, that doesn't make you a misogynist. That just makes you a reasonable person. And I'm not trying to downplay real instances of sexism. Hillary Clinton was subject to, I think, some unfair misogynistic criticism. So, for example, some people in the media criticized her because she yelled when she spoke. Now, is that something that has implications that are particularly sexist? Well, sure, I think that's an unfair criticism. I don't care how she says things. I care about what she's saying. But is that going to dissuade someone from voting for her even if they dislike the way she speaks? Uh, no. Now, there are some overt sexists in the country, still, that exist, that refuse to vote for someone just because she's a woman. But are they in the Democratic Party? Are they on the left? No, they're probably old Republicans who are like 150 years old. So are they going to vote for a Democrat anyway? No, they're going to vote for the Republican no matter what. The extent to which the left has said any and every criticism of Hillary Clinton is misogynistic, they've really discredited themselves. And with this logic, people would say that I'm a misogynist pig because I'm not attracted to women. I'm a homosexual, so I must be sexist. Like, <laughs> this is this is the same logic. I know that sounds absurd, but your argument is pretty absurd as well. Now, also, of course, this journalist blames Bernie Sanders. Quote, I know this is going to piss a lot of people off, but so be it. I think Sanders, who fortified the recurring narrative that Hillary Clinton was a corrupt neoliberal and part of a rigged system did more damage than anyone else. He turned millions of young people against Hillary and countless independents, no doubt, too. Yes, he ultimately campaigned for Hillary, but did so half-heartedly, through pursed lips and slumped body language, bashing Trump but rarely praising Hillary. One could almost see the thought bubble over his head, this should have been me. I don't know what you expect. Do you
you want him to bow down, get on his knees, spread her ass cheeks, and literally kiss her butthole? She rigged a primary against him. It was a very unfair primary where she was an illegitimate winner, and yet he still swallowed his pride when I wouldn't have done that, and not only endorsed her, but campaigned for her. And he campaigned his ass off for her, and he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to endorse her. He didn't have to go out there and campaign for someone who is establishment, that's a fact, who is corrupt because she is bribed by political contributions. When that goes against everything that he said, he pissed off a lot of his own supporters by doing that. So Bernie Sanders didn't have to do that, but he did. And the fact that you expect more than he already gave you is just preposterous to me. If it wasn't Bernie Sanders, then somebody else could have possibly challenged Hillary Clinton, but we already knew Hillary Clinton was corrupt which is why we didn't want her. So it's, it wasn't Bernie. It's your candidate. Now, this person also blames fake news, news that, you know, Hillary had Parkinson's or that she murdered a DNC staffer. But the people who believe this were mostly Republicans because they are consumers of fake media outlets like Breitbart and Infowars. The left didn't really not like Hillary Clinton because of these things. They were all substantive reasons. Like, I didn't like Hillary Clinton because... I don't like that she took millions of dollars from Wall Street. I don't like that she gave Goldman Sachs private speeches and then refused to tell us what she said to them. I don't like that she supports a Syrian no-fly zone. I don't like that she wants to create a cybersecurity policy wherein we respond to cyber attacks militarily. I don't like those policies that she is putting forward. And for those substantive reasons, I dislike Hillary Clinton. I never said anything about not liking Hillary because she has Parkinson's or that uh, she killed staffers. No, that, that is fake news. There's no evidence to validate those claims. So uh, those are things, though, that Republicans would believe. On the left, progressives were saying that we don't like her policies and you didn't listen. Can you guess who else is to blame? Uh, of course, it's James Comey. Don't blame Hillary Clinton for setting up a private email server to begin with. Do you know one headline that you'd never see if Bernie Sanders was the nominee? Uh, James Comey cost Bernie Sanders the election. You wouldn't see that, one, because he would have won, and two, because Bernie Sanders knows not to be corrupt and set up a private email server. So you, you've got to blame Hillary for that. And then also Jill Stein, quote, that publicity seeking bourgeoisie woman gave disenchanted Bernie or Busters a place for their protest vote. Oh, okay. So remind me what Hillary Clinton was again. If Jill Stein is bourgeoisie, then what is Hillary Clinton? Hillary Clinton is like the ultimate bourgeois insider who is filthy rich. She makes $225,000 an hour. And yet she wasn't even in favor of a $15 minimum wage. She said that's too much. All we should get is $12. Is that not the definition of a greedy bourgeoisie person? Also, of course, Russia, WikiLeaks, and blamed the mainstream media who did propaganda for Hillary Clinton and carried water for her, not only through the primaries, but through the general election as well. Now, I don't want to be completely unfair to the author here because she does blame the people who didn't get out to vote. Although, uh, you could blame Hillary because why didn't they get out to vote? Well, because it was Hillary. Now, this is where the article takes a turn for the worse. This journalist explicitly states that one person that cannot be blamed is Hillary Clinton. Quote, she won every debate. She came up with well-thought-out, concrete plans to govern. She carried herself with dignity and grace. And despite all the endless misogynist shit that was hurled at her, she was nothing short of heroic. Stop. Just Stop. This is Hillary Clinton. This is a corrupt insider we're talking about here. If Hillary Clinton were a man, 
you would not be saying the same exact things. So I think you're the real sexist here. I think this article is sexist because just because Hillary Clinton was a woman who was the first presidential nominee, you are giving her a pass that you probably, I don't know, wouldn't give to other politicians. If someone else gave private speeches to Goldman Sachs, we would be freaking out if we were the left. And the left rightfully called out Mitt Romney's connection to the industry and all the money he was taking. But yet, Hillary Clinton can't be criticized for that. You know, if we criticize Hillary Clinton for that, then we're in the wrong. No. Now, I think a better argument that was also published in the Huffington Post uh, reads, if Clinton loses, really, there's only one person you can blame. Hillary Rodham Clinton, the outcome of this election should be evaluated by the performances of both candidates. Strong candidates don't have to worry about threats from third parties, so if Clinton fails to mobilize enough new voters to make up for the ones that she's losing to Gary Johnson and Jill Stein, that's her fault. If Trump wins, blame Clinton, not the progressives she's given the cold shoulder to for the entirety of the election. I think that argument is more persuasive. So whoever wrote this article in the Huffington Post, I think that author knows what he's talking about. I wonder who wrote this. You can check that out in the description box, you know, because I think this person has his finger on the pulse. So, I mean, in the end, I thought this article was satirical, but when you compare this article to my article in the Huffington Post, it seems like... Uh, my article got like a thousand more shares than this article, so maybe more people heard my message, but more people, about 3,000 more people like this article over my article. So a lot of people, literally thousands of people agree with this. They read this and didn't think it was preposterous like me. So if this is an argument that resonates with the Democratic voting base, then we're in for a serious, seriously long ride because... Wow. I, like, I, I don't know what to say about this. This argument is so laughably bad that it's indistinguishable from satire. I couldn't tell if it was real. I couldn't tell if the author was trolling or not. But the fact that this is an argument that is persuasive to thousands of people, I don't know what to say. I mean, if people believe this, if people really believe that Hillary Clinton is not to blame for running a terrible campaign where you split the base and then court neoconservatives because you think you can make up the voters that you lost in your own base with uh, Republicans. I don't know. There's there's no hope for the party. There's no hope. And I don't want to be associated with people in the same party that believe this because it's just a bad argument. I mean, it, it's it's <laughs> bereft of common sense. So there's, there's no logic here. I completely disagree, uh, needless to say. So Elizabeth Warren is a progressive with a phenomenal record, and she was really a progressive maverick until the 2016 election where she lost a lot of the legitimacy that she cultivated throughout the years by endorsing Hillary Clinton and vocally advocating for her. And I still like Elizabeth Warren. Let's let's get that out of the way. I would vote for her if she ran for president, and I support a lot of what she has to say. However, because of all the political miscalculations that she made during the election, now a lot of the progressive things that she wants to do that I agree with, I feel as though she's not going to have the political capital needed to actually get them accomplished. So, for example, as President-elect Donald Trump cancels his first post-election press conference meant to address potential conflict of interest while nominating cabinet members with their own egregious conflicts of interest, Elizabeth Warren is leading a group of Democrats in an effort to push back by implementing the clause in the U.S. Constitution specifically written to prevent such improper webs. The Massachusetts senator took to Twitter Thursday to outline her intentions to reinforce an obscure provision in the Constitution in January as Trump is set to take office. 
The bill, co-sponsored by Democratic Senators Ben Cardin, Chris Coons, Dick Durbin, and Jeff Merkley, would require the president and vice president to disclose and divest any potential financial conflicts of interest. This has been the standard for previous presidents, Warren said in a statement. Our bill makes clear the continuing expectation that President-elect Trump do the same. Now, I love this. I don't disagree with anything here. I think what she's doing is right. However, this no longer looks brave. It looks hacky because she endorsed the candidate over Bernie Sanders, who also had a lot of conflicts of interest. So what is Donald Trump doing to try to uh, dissuade people from talking about his obvious conflicts of interest? Well, he's saying he's going to cede control of his businesses to his children. That's not enough. You need more than just one degree of separation. Like, you need to completely put it in a blind trust, like she's saying, and allow someone else to take it over because we know that you're still going to be in control by proxy of your kids. So that's not acceptable. But when we all were speaking out against Hillary Clinton's conflict of interest with the uh, Clinton Foundation, Elizabeth Warren was silent on that. When Hillary Clinton said that she would allow Chelsea Clinton to take over the Clinton Foundation, you guys were okay with that. You said that's enough. But with Donald Trump, he can say the same thing and now that's not enough for you? Like, I, I just hate it because now you look like a hack. And in many ways, Elizabeth Warren did show herself to be a partisan hack. But I know that deep down, she has good intentions. She's not corrupt. She just has made so many miscalculations and bad decisions that I think that anything she tries to do now, it's not going to seem genuine. And I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but I'm frustrated that she has this double standard. Yes, Donald Trump has a lot of conflict of interest, and I'm against them. And he's appointing people to serve in his cabinet, like ExxonMobil CEO Rex Tillerson, who obviously has a conflict of interest. What he's going to do is he's going to approve deals that don't benefit the United States, but approve deals that will help ExxonMobil and thus make him filthy rich. That's a conflict of interest. That's corruption. And this is the same thing that we complained about with Hillary Clinton. We said that we're really worried about this conflict of interest because she's going to do uh, the bidding of her donors. And I think that we had reasons to worry about that because even you, Elizabeth Warren, said that Hillary Clinton was influenced by political contributions. She took money from the big banks and then approved of a bill that the industry was in favor of. Now, I want to be clear. There is a difference between Hillary Clinton's Clinton Foundation, which was a charitable organization that actually did do some good work, uh, and a business which is just, it aims to make a profit. I mean, they have a fiduciary responsibility to make a profit. So that's going to conflict with the goals of the State Department if we do have someone like Rex Tillerson uh, heading the State Department. But th the thing is that a conflict of interest is still a conflict of interest, and I'm just frustrated that Elizabeth Warren only chooses to speak out against corruption when it occurs on the right. I want her to do the same and speak out against corruption on the left as well. And the fact that Elizabeth Warren only chooses to speak out against corruption sometimes, it, you know, it's frustrating to me. I just want her to be consistent and speak out against corruption on the left and the right. Throughout the course of uh, the election, I talked a lot about election integrity and uh, election fraud and whatnot, and a lot of my viewers were interested in that. So I wasn't sure how many of you were actually familiar with HBO's Hacking Democracy. I think it's a great film that was actually nominated for an Emmy, 
and they exposed a lot of vulnerabilities that we have that we didn't even know about. I mean, the film was groundbreaking. So I watched the film, and I actually interviewed the director, Russ Michaels, uh, and I wrote an article about this in the Huffington Post. So I wanted to share that with you guys. I'll put a link down below in the description box because I think that you guys would be interested in it. And if you are not familiar with the film Hacking Democracy, it might be dated. It's 10 years old now, but... Uh, I think that the message is as important as ever, especially when you look at the Recount Initiative and its popularity with Jill Stein. I mean, a lot of people are paying attention now to election integrity, and they worry, and they just want the vote to be fair. And if you care about the process, then I think that this film is a really great film to watch. Uh, so I will encourage you to read my article. I'm going to plug the hell out of that. Check it out. Uh, and there's links in the article to the film where you could watch it or purchase it and rent it. So please, if you can, share the article if you do enjoy reading it because that really does help uh, to encourage Huffington Post to promote it. But I really hope that you guys can draw a lot of parallels between that documentary, which is now 10 years old, and Jill Stein's recount effort because I think that Jill Stein's campaign to audit the vote in several states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, it's emblematic of the core message of hacking democracy, and I think it's very relevant to today. So I want people to get involved, and I think that watching Hacking Democracy and really uh, taking the message seriously of the film, that is that you can audit the vote yourself and make sure that our elections are protected and not vulnerable to threats from hacking and whatnot, is important. So please check it out. That's all I got for you guys today. I want to thank you all for tuning in. If you've made it this far in the video, you are a trooper. And I want to thank my members, my Patreon patrons, and anyone who submitted a donation via PayPal because you guys not only help the show to survive, but you help us to thrive. And I really want to thank you uh, because without you, we cannot make the upgrades that we do to the show. So you guys are great. And even if you just watch and like the videos and share the videos, you are an amazing person. Now, about liking videos, I will say that it is the case that YouTube is having problems that they are refusing to acknowledge where you're getting unsubscribed to people's channels and where videos are not showing up as they used to in the recommended box on YouTube. And I do notice myself taking kind of a hit here too. So if you can, please like each video because that does encourage YouTube in their algorithm to uh, recommend my videos to others uh, who watch political videos. And also, if you want to make sure that you get all of my videos, you can always watch them at humanistreport.com. You can like uh, my Facebook page for the Humanist Report or follow me on Twitter. And I always post every single video I do there. Uh, and finally, you can click the little bell next to the subscribe button that will notify you every single time I post something to the channel. So you never have to worry about missing anything. So if you are worried about not getting the videos or there's anything messed up in your sub box where you're not seeing our videos, uh, please uh, turn on notifications or like our Facebook page so you can see videos there and whatnot because, you know, this is really troubling and we have to make sure that uh, the message gets out there because I do notice my views go going down significantly. Uh, and part of this is because people are tending to tune out after the election, but we want to make sure that, you know, it's not because of a glitch, right? So if it is, please just keep that in mind. But anyways, I will see you guys next week. I had a great time with this episode. I hope you all enjoy it. Uh, take care and have a great day.